Welcome to the second ever episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host, Daniel Levy, and today's episode is brought to you by bestfightpicks.com. Go to bestfightpicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks sent directly to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me today on the second episode of Half the Battle is someone that's very well respected in the in the gambling community and someone that I personally respect a lot, Mr. Wes, true UK fan. How's it going, Wes? Going good, man. Thanks for having me on, bud. Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. You know, for those that don't know, not only did Wes get the famous quote, there's zero value in a losing play, not only did he spread that around, I know my buddy Lance Fischel might have something to say about that, but we all know Wes is the true not, not only is he the true UK fan, he's the true OG that started that saying. And another thing I want to talk to you about, Wes, is, you know, you're very well known and respected for your NASCAR plays. Now, for me personally, you know, I consider myself a UFC expert. I know the fighters, the styles of martial arts, their cornermen, this and that. I don't even know the half about NASCAR. I just know that they drive really fast cars. And, you know, if I were to assume what kinds of things someone – like yourself would know, I would assume not only do you know the drivers themselves, you know what kind of motor oil they use, you know about their pit crew, you know what kind of GPS service they have. So, you know, without revealing your secret to the public, just tell us a little insight on how you select those, you know, plus 1,500, plus 5,000, plus 9,000 underdogs that you consistently do on NASCAR all the time. Man, uh, it starts with just years of watching it. You you have to, there's little things and racing uh, that you pick up from 20 years away. I know I'm an old man now, but um, yeah, mainly you, you want to always just look at guys that do very well at a certain track. And that's always going to be the same, no matter what year it is, um, they they change the car so much in NASCAR, just the, the rules packages, how spoiler heights, weights and stuff. Guys that are good at a certain track are usually always going to be good at a certain track. Um, that's what I look at first and foremost. Um, and that that comes back to knowing years and years of watching the races, who who is good where. Um, there's usually only about, 10 to 15 guys that can win on a certain weekend finding the four or five that are the best at that track is going to take you a long way when you bet nascar um still honing it myself um i've i've been down a little bit this year it's been hard killed it last year uh been down a little bit this year i think that's mainly to do with uh, the books are starting to get uh, real good with their lines on nascar it's more popular to bet now um and with that comes uh, the the books know more too they they know how to set the lines better um but yeah i'm 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 getting back i've hit a couple here the past month um trying to get back on a row but i'll get there and you know west that's way above my pay grade but something else that you're really good at that we actually share in common is not only our passion for MMA, but the fact that, you know, we both do bet on the sport. And something that we got to talk about today is UFC Glasgow, because Bisbing, he's going to fight latest. And we're going to get into all of that in just a second. But I'd like to recap real quick on this UFC San Diego 
card that we just saw the other day with, uh, you know, Frank Mir versus Todd Duffy. And, you know, before we get to that incredible main event, which, you know, lasted less than two minutes, I want to talk about Tony Ferguson. You know, this is a kid that I've seen since the Ultimate Fighter. He's always had potential. He's always been dangerous. He's always been slick with his hands. But now, you know, he's training at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. His Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just getting slick fight by fight. And he's pulling off stuff that we don't often see inside the octagon. That performance he had against Josh Thompson, that was very eye-opening. And, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing a fight between Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis. So my question for you, Wes, is what kind of potential and ceiling do you see in Tony Ferguson? And who would you like to see him face next inside the octagon? Um, man, Tony, he's got it all, man. Um the the only thing I've ever really questioned here recently is is his fight IQ, which we kind of had a conversation about that. Uh, with fighters being so close in competition nowadays, that is that's something that uh, you need to work on. You need to have a good game plan and stick to it. Um, Tony's done so he's done some stuff. Uh, he'll lay on his back. He'll get taken down a but his jujitsu has come a long way, man. Some of the stuff that that he was uh, pulling off on on Josh was just crazy, the the somersault rolls and stuff to get out of trouble, just crazy stuff. But uh, Tony can can go as far as he wants, man. He he could he could challenge for a title. Um, I like the the Pettis ideal. That that would be a great fight. Uh, me personally, I would I would rather see uh, Michael Johnson win in Nashville, where we're gonna be. Um, and I want to see that rematch. I think Michael Johnson is him and Tony have kind of had the same career path. Um, they're both at the top of their games right now. I, I would really like to see uh, that rematch, to be honest. But can't argue with the Pettis fight. That that would be crazy as well. Obviously, that rematch would be great. And, you know, one little thing I want to touch on is just the fact that the way the sport is evolving, guys are throwing more high risk. Uh, high reward kind of moves you know back in the day you know you see Anderson Silva versus Vitor Belfort and you know they kind of stared at each other for two minutes straight but then Anderson he throws that big front kick to the face but what we see nowadays with guys like Conor McGregor guys like Tony Ferguson guys like Anthony Showtime Pettis is that they're willing to throw those high risk high reward moves but not just once they're throwing it in volume throughout the fight so what do you think about how the sports evolve and you know the new striking and ground attacks of these next generation fighters man yeah from from watching the the sport from uh, from the beginning I've, I've watched um you know mma since since the very beginning um your your best fighters you know 10 years ago are gonna get beat by dudes in the top 20 now that's just that's how far it's come um yeah like uh, conor mcgregor for example i mean some of the stuff he throws is just you know, you used to think that why is that guy even trying something like that? But now it's the techniques are landing. They're they're having impact. Um, you like the Anderson Silva front kick, Machida with some of his front kicks and stuff. It those techniques are landing, and they're I guess they're they're probably more hard to to train for and predict when a guy's going to do something like that. Um, competition is so close now, man. You have to you have to have stuff like that if you want to win fights. Um, no, absolutely, Wes. And do you think that we could make an argument that, you know, obviously we all know the sport was going to evolve no matter what, but can we make an argument that, you know, this kind of flashy but yet voluminous style originated when Anthony Pettis did the famous Showtime kick? 
Yeah, I guess you could go back to that. Um, I think uh, Anderson has been doing some of the, you know, the flight, like you said, the flashy techniques for for quite a few years now. Um, yeah, the Anthony Pettis probably had a lot of the younger guys in the gyms, you know, wanting to be like him, wanting to pull off stuff like that. Um, it 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 works. I think that's the main thing. Guys see that it works, and if if a fighter is right there, he sees that that stuff works. He's going to try it. They're going to do anything they can to win. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's so evolved now. Uh, like I said, guys that, you know, 18-year-old guys in a gym now are probably beating the the top guys from 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the, the, how the sport has evolved is crazy to me, watching it over the years. It's, uh, it's at the best it's ever been, but it's going to get better. I think guys are going to – they'll figure out more techniques. They'll, you know, it's going to evolve more. It's great to watch. Love to see it too. And you know, that's a great point you bring up. You say that it works and it absolutely works because, you know, I recall, you know, the day after Anthony Pettis landed the Showtime kick and people are in the gym, they're jumping off the walls and, you know, trying to hit the tie pads, trying to add that element to their game because, you know, beforehand you just see these moves, you know, in a movie or something like that. And you're like, you know, there was a movie with, uh, I believe it, you know, Bruce Lee and, and Chuck Norris were fighting and, you know, he's, he's in a flying triangle and, uh, you know, he gets slammed yeah. and Rampage does that in real life. So, you know, you see a lot of these things in, you know, in fantasy, in a movie. And then once you see it happen live, like you said, you realize it works and I can actually implement this into my real game. And, you know, the other day, Alan Juban against uh, Matt Dwyer, you know, he landed that beautiful cartwheel kick. And a lot yeah. of guys... A lot of guys have been trying to land cartwheel kicks for a while. You know, obviously Brian Ebersol, he landed one on the regional scene, knocked someone out. It, you know, on a side story, a lot of people thought that fight was fixed because they had never seen anything like that before. But now we realize that's not fixed. This is the evolution of mixed martial arts. And what Alan Juban did the other day, you know, he was the first man to land the cartwheel kick. But now, you know, as time progresses, we're going to see someone knock someone out with that cartwheel kick so for me personally it's just great to watch the evolution of the sport and see you know these high level techniques this high risk high reward really starting to pay off so something i want to talk to you about you know we touched on ufc san diego briefly but let's talk about that main event because you know a lot of people were counting out frank Mir, and you know personally before the fight i said that you know any single time that todd duffy has stepped up and fought a real fighter he's been brutally knocked out and that, that's what happened again on on Wednesday night, you know, he goes in there and he didn't have a great game plan. It looked like he just wanted to stand and bang with Frank Mir and his hands were not technical. You know, he was throwing all the way from his hip and it was very ugly. And, you know, Frank Mir countered very beautifully and sent Todd Duffy to the canvas face first. What are your thoughts on that fight and what's next for Frank Mir? Yeah, I was one of the ones that was totally wrong about that fight. Uh, as far as picking Duffy, um, I ended up I did add the under late, um, but yeah, I was totally wrong about that too. Um, yeah, some of the stuff that Duffy threw that one where it almost looked like a clothesline. I mean, he his arm was straight out, and he just was kind of winging like a bitch slap or something. Uh, and the one where Frank just did a beautiful slip and counter and and knocked him out. But yeah, Duffy just he hasn't. He hasn't improved at all, I don't think. I don't know if he was ever really any good. Um, his game plan was horrible. He just blitzed Mir. It's like he didn't even put his hands up once. He just blitzed him. Um, I think with a better game plan, he might have gave Frank a little bit better of a fight. Um, 
But yeah, Duffy's just, I just honestly don't think he's that good. Uh, Frank, I don't know where Frank goes. Maybe he's just uh, a heavyweight gatekeeper, gets a guy, top 10, you know, guy over the hump, gets him into contention. I don't think he can ever be, you know, a contender again. Um, saying that that might be off because guys like Arlovsky and stuff are contending for titles now. So, um, but some, you know, some people saying, well, Frank was the same weight as his last fight. Frank looked horrible on the scale for that fight. I mean, he looked absolutely horrible. He had a, a belly that was just ridiculous. Um, I, did, I think that's the best you'll get of Frank. Uh, gatekeeper, maybe, you know, giving guy, young guys that are trying to crack the top 10. I don't think you'll get too many of fights like that from Frank, though. He's probably only got a few more. Um, his chin, he, he took some shots from Duffy, but, you know, he, Frank, like, I think you said it, Frank's never been like one punch KO and I don't know how long. Um, usually it's volume and stuff, but Duffy did kind of stun him a couple times in that fight. He just, he blitzed him like an idiot and didn't like set up his punches but yeah you know, i've always been a huge frank fan but i think he's he's no no better than just a gatekeeper now you know it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because obviously you know people were telling him to retire they were writing him off and now he's coming off two first round knockouts both of them under two minutes and you know he's yeah. looking better than ever and like you said he did look uh you know like he had a little extra weight there and you know, some people were saying he was the same weight. As far as I know, I, I think he actually put on 20 pounds. I could be wrong, but it definitely looked that way. But, hey, you know what? It lasted less than two minutes, and Frank Mir knocked out Todd Duffy out cold. Now, obviously, we got to talk about, you know, UFC Glasgow, Bisping versus Latest. We got to talk about Bellator, Douglas Lima's fighting tonight. But before we get into that, you know, I haven't had the time to reflect on air about UFC 189, except briefly right after the event finished on you know before the bald man speaks with my man andrew the clown kid lawrence but now you know we've had a week to really digest that event and you know kind of let it sink in a little bit and now i kind of want to reflect on that i want to talk about ufc 189 so wes starting with the matt brown fight all the way to the conor mcgregor fight was that the best sequence of fights you've ever seen in your life it, it's definitely up there. Uh, it's hard to go back and remember every single pay-per-view. Uh, definitely recent memory, the past five, six, seven years. Absolutely. Um, I still can't recall one, you know, back in the day that, that might have. I think our boy uh, Brad Taschuk uh, said maybe UFC 136 or something like that was very good. Um, but, yeah, in recent memory, that has to be um, – the best pay-per-view we've seen in a long, long time. Absolutely. You know, and I agree with you. And I was actually in attendance for UFC 136. And, you know, Frankie Edgar, Gray Maynard, they, they completed that trilogy. It was unbelievable. It was actually my first live UFC event. But as far as someone who purchases every single pay-per-view, for me, you know, starting with the Matt Brown fight, which was the lead-in, it was the main event of the prelims. Then you got the Tomas Almeida fight. And, you know, Tomas Almeida and Brad Pickett, anytime you see Brad Pickett fight, this guy comes to fight every single time, and then you mix it in with the fact that he was facing Tomas Almeida, who's 20-0 with 19 finishes. And that kid, you know, in my opinion, he's a future champion. You know, then you move up, and you got uh, Gunnar Nelson versus Brandon Thatch. You know, everyone thought that if Gunnar Nelson was going to win the fight, it had to be on the ground. And then he goes in there and drops Brandon Thatch. And then obviously when Gunnar Nelson gets you on the ground, you know it's a wrap. 
So before we move up to the top uh, three fights of that card, why don't you tell me your opinion on Almeida versus Pickett and Thatch versus Nelson? Um, yeah, Almeida, he's he's really, really good. Um, uh, our, our, our buddy uh, Sean Carey, though, pointed out a while back that he gets hit a ton. And if he doesn't shore that up, he's going to be in some trouble against the, the upper echelon guys. Um, but he has, he has all the skills, man. He, he's really good. Um, and then the, the Thatch fight, I, I was totally wrong on that. I figured Thatch would big brother, uh, Gunner, uh, land a shot and take him out. Never in a million years would have thought that Gunner would KO him, you know, or knock him down. That was just, that was nuts. I didn't see that coming. Um, but yeah, that's thoughts on them too. Uh, good fights. Uh, the Almeida finish was just, it was amazing. That was some good stuff. Yeah, those are some great points, Wes. And obviously, you know, you brought up our buddy Sean talking about how Tomas Almeida, he is a bit hittable. He does need to work on his uh, on his striking defense. But one thing that I think is that, you know, the kid is 23 years old. And when you're that young, you're going to make big improvements fight by fight. And the thing that I look for when I'm trying to scout a potential champion is how do they react to adversity? And not only did Tomas Almeida get dropped twice in the first round, you know, via that big punch and that knee, he comes back and wins the fight via knockout. He wasn't discouraged one bit. It's not like he got dropped and he was backing up against the fence and, you know, waiting for the ref to give him a way out. This kid wanted to fight until the bitter end. And that, to me, is the sign of a, of a potential champion. Now, obviously we know the chin can never recover, but one thing that can be improved is your striking defense. So I'd like to see him, you know, work on his head movement a little more, keep his hands up higher. But at the same time, we got to give props to Brad Pickett because he comes out there every single fight and he puts it all on the line, win or lose. So I was very impressed with that fight. It definitely electrified the crowd. Obviously, we talked about Gunnar Nelson versus Brandon Thatch. Now let's talk about Jeremy Stevens versus Dennis Bermudez. You know, on any other card, this would have been the fight of the night. But obviously, as we uh, alluded to earlier, UFC 189 was one of the best cards of all time. So it's kind of hard when every single fight is a fight of the night candidate. But this one, you know, it had everything that you want in a fight of the night. You know, both guys got rocked. You know, one guy was going for the takedown. The other guy's trying to keep the fight on the feet. And eventually, in that third round, Jeremy Stevens landed a beautiful counter flying knee. You know, often when we see guys land flying knees, it's on the attack. You know, Thomas Almeida, he landed that flying knee on Brad Pickett. And he initiated that attack. What happened with the Jeremy Stevens knockout was that it was on the counter. And we've never seen, at least from the top of my memory, we haven't seen a guy counter with a flying knee KO. So to me, that was very impressive. What are your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody finish with a, with a knee like that. He literally jumped straight up. I mean, just right off his feet straight up, not forward attacking, like you said, just straight up and KO. That That's one of the the best uh, flying EKOs I've ever seen. Um, the The fight went about how I, how I thought it would. I thought Bermudez would, would uh, you know, he would land. He would get him against the cage. He would rough him up. I figured, you know, Stevens would eventually catch him. Uh, we all know uh, Bermudez has, has had chin problems. He's been rocked in several fights. Um, that's why I, I, I picked and bet uh, Stevens in the fight. I didn't think he would finish like that, though. That that was an amazing flying knee, absolutely. Yeah, the flying knee was amazing. And, you know, obviously after that fight, if we thought it couldn't get, you know, any better, 
Then we had what I like to consider the greatest welterweight title fight of all time. You know, Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald. You know, some people had Robbie, some people had Rory. But one thing we can all agree on is that those two are bona fide warriors. You know, they went in there, they put everything on the line. You know, there was a moment when we thought Robbie was going to get knocked out. There were many moments throughout the fight we thought Rory was going to go down. And then finally, in the fifth round, that accumulation of damage that Robbie Lawler had been, you know, putting together, it was kind of like he was, you know, painting a picture. And then towards the fifth round, it all came together when uh, he landed that straight left, that drop Rory, and Robbie was able to successfully defend his UFC welterweight title, which... On a side note, he's the first man to defend the title since GSP. What are your opinions on the greatest welterweight title fight of all time and Robbie Lawler as the UFC welterweight champion? Yeah, man, I've, I've watched a lot, a lot of fights in my life, um, and that is one of the best fights, period, I've ever seen. Uh, it, it had it all. Uh, I mean, Robbie, another 10 seconds on the clock, he's probably finished, I believe, after the second or third round where Robbie had him – or. Uh, Roy had him badly hurt, um, and Ro I love Robbie Lawler, man. He is one of my favorite fighters to watch. He he's a problem for anybody at 170. He his takedown defense now is just second to none, and we all know what he can do with his punches. Um, yeah, that fight has to rank up there with one of the best ever. Um, our boy uh, Caposa put up that uh, that video of Rory at the end, man, where he's just laying there bleeding out of his face dude and just falls over that that's just a lasting memory man that and then them standing in the middle of the cage to start round four i believe it was just just staring at each other that's like that's a lasting mma memory right there you'll never forget that that's that has to put that fight up there just those memories right there um uh, robbie lawler's a problem for anybody but i do want to say like i think it's it's just shameful that Rory got 59 grand for that fight. That is, that's completely shameful, man. It, that guy fighting for the title and goes in there and puts on, he better have got a huge bonus from the UFC because 59 grand for that is, is fucking shameful, man. Just period. Well, I'll just say this, Wes. I know for a fact that they both got some very nice bonuses after that fight. I mean, you can't after putting on, what we consider to be the greatest welterweight title fight of all time. So I know for a fact both guys got taken care of, and we shouldn't be feeling too bad for Rory McDonald right now. And, you know, I'm very curious to see what happens to him moving forward. But we got to talk about the main event real quick. So after we talk about the main event, we're going to get into Bisbing versus Latis and Bellator. But right now, main event between Conor McGregor and Chad Mendes. The thing that impressed me most about Conor McGregor in this fight was, you know, when Chad Mendes hits someone with that right hand, I don't care who you are, chances are you're getting knocked out because Chad Mendes packs some serious power in his punches. And, you know, if Chad Mendes can't knock you out standing, he can take you down to the ground and grind you out there. So what I found super impressive in Conor McGregor's performance was it starts out and, you know, McGregor's not retreating. He's not, you know, trying to run around the ring and pot shot. He gets right in the face of Mendes and he starts, you know, throwing volume, you know, spinning attacks. That's something we kind of talked about earlier on the show, how, you know, the striking in MMA, it's really evolved. You know, guys would throw, you know, spinning attacks here and there, but now you got a guy throwing volume spin, volume flash. So he was doing that. He was really hurting Mendes to the body. Obviously, when Mendes goes for a takedown, he's going to throw you in the air, and that blast double, that was something of beauty. But what really impressed me was the composure of Conor McGregor off his back. You know, 
Uh, if you heard the post by interview, he said he was talking to Mendes the entire time. Mendes would land a big elbow, and he'd be like, no. <laughs> so, you know, it, the mental warfare is just – you know, something to behold. And it truly reminds me of Anderson Silva because like you and I briefly spoke about off air, you know, back when Anderson was the champion and he'd fight these great wrestlers, you know, he would get taken down for the first round. You know, you recall the Dan Henderson fight. You recall the Chael Sonnen fight. He'd get taken down. He'd lose the first round, you know, at least on the scorecards. But his confidence would never waver. His cardio wouldn't be diminished. And he'd still have that same intensity and will to win right when he gets back up to his feet. And that's exactly what we saw with Conor McGregor. He wasn't discouraged one bit from those takedowns. He wasn't discouraged one bit from those big elbows from his full guard. He gets back up and he knocks out Chad Mendes. And I mean, knocking out Chad Mendes is quite a feat. You know, only one man has ever beat him aside from Conor McGregor, and that's Jose Aldo. So, I mean, to do that to Chad Mendes, that's just very impressive. So, I want to know what are your thoughts on that performance? And what are your thoughts on Conor McGregor, the new interim champion? Well, anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I I didn't I don't I didn't like Connor too much, you know. And, and like I told you, it it wasn't really with Connor what he did, what he does, uh, how he acts. I think that's great for the sport. It, it was some of the the treatment by the UFC, um, the interim title thing. I didn't uh, agree with at all. But besides all that, uh, the performance. He's legit, man. The the guy's really, really good. Um, but people saying like questions were answered and stuff, I think they were, but the opposite way. I, I still think his takedown defense is highly questionable. And a, a guy that can get him down and, and hold him down, um, it's going to be problems for him. Now, not saying that he can't improve that. Uh, hopefully he can and, and work on that. Um, but you're right. He's got a a granite chin, man. Chad hit him with, with some rights that would knock any other featherweight out in the world. Um, I still, I have to come back to the takedown defense though. That that's the, the path to victory. I thought Chad had, that's why I, I bet Chad, um, that I think the two weeks notice had more, uh, more than an effect than anybody would have thought. You know, they say alpha male guys, they stay in shape and that staying in shape and being in cage fight ready shape as two completely different things. And I think we really underestimated that coming into the fight. Um, besides that, no excuse though. Connor looked great, man. His, his standup is probably the, the best in the division. Um, I still, we have to see the auto fight, you know, for me to crown him as the champ. I don't care what that interim belt says. He has to beat auto. Um, some people said after that fight that um, they lean more towards McGregor now. I'm the other way. I lean more towards auto even more now. Uh, this is all prefacing on if auto fights a smart fight and goes in there and tries to get him down. I don't even think auto can stand with McGregor. Um, and we all know how good Otto is standing. He's great. Um, but McGregor is something else, man. He's something different when it comes to the stand-up game. Like you said, the unorthodox strikes, the spinning kicks, um, and he hits with power. And he probably hits with more power than any featherweight. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I, everything I said on Twitter, I still believe some of it. I don't agree with the, some of the treatment and stuff of him, but – He's legit, man. He, he completely he made me do a 180. I, I think he's one of the two or three best featherweights in the world. And uh, I really, really hope 
that Aldo doesn't keep pulling out of fights and we get to see that fight eventually. You know, Wes, you do bring up some very good points. And, you know, it, it is kind of cool to have a differing opinion on the show because it, it would be kind of boring if we both agreed on everything. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, you are 100% correct when you talk about how, you know, being in shape and being in championship fight shape, those are two completely different things. And, you know, one could definitely make the argument that the, you know, two-week training camp had an effect on Chad Mendes cardio, but we also have to give credit to the fact that, you know, McGregor was constantly tagging and targeting the body of uh, Mendes. And the body, the body shots played a huge part regardless of, of camp, yeah. Th those body kicks had to play a huge part. I agree there. Yeah, absolutely. So the body kicks, the left hook to the body, or actually he's a southpaw, so it'd be a right hook. But yeah, yeah and you know, all that stuff, all that stuff uh, contributes to a diminishing gas tank. And it definitely added to what went down, what transpired on fight night. Now, you do bring up some good points. His takedown defense, you know, while there's two ways to look at it. You know, there's obviously the reports that came out that he has that knee problem. He hasn't been able to train any wrestling. But let's say he did have a full training camp and he was still able to get taken down like that. So, obviously, we need someone who can take him down for five whole rounds to beat him. But the thing is... You know, every every single round starts on the feet. And he also showed that he was pretty adept at getting back up from the bottom, you know, once he decided to. And that was against Chad Mendes, who, for me personally, I consider Chad Mendes to be the best wrestler in that division. You know, I think Frankie Edgar is a better fighter because he mixes up his striking to his takedowns better. And once he's on top, you know, he passes guard, he attacks for submissions, he attacks for ground and pound. Whereas Chad Mendes on the feet, you know, he's got incredible one-punch knockout power. But when he's on the ground, you know, like you saw in the fight, he'll, he's content to stay in that guard and just try to kind of work his elbows. And that's not just in the McGregor fight. That's in all his other fights where he took guys down. You know, the Nick Lentz fights, the Haniyaya fight, the Mishihiro Omigawa fight. Those were the fights where he took guys down and he kind of laid in their guard and did a little bit of ground and pound. So he did that same thing to Conor McGregor, but McGregor wasn't, you know, willing to accept that that position. He wanted to get back up and keep fighting, and eventually you saw what happened. So I think we've touched on UFC 189 enough now. Now let's get to this weekend's fights. You know, obviously we got Bellator 140 with Douglas Lima and uh, Andre Koreshkov, and we also got Bisbing versus Leda. So let's talk about Bellator real quick. Before we get into the main event, I want to talk about, you know, two guys that are heavily favored who – you know, they're getting showcase fights, and in my opinion, they didn't look that great in their last two fights. And I'm referring to Paul Semtex Daly and Michael Benham Page. You know, obviously everyone knows Paul Daly, his left hook. He puts many guys down. And back in the day, you know, if you would say, I'm going to stand and bang with Paul Daly, you know, <laughs> you might as well uh, get a shovel and start digging your own grave because the guy's left hook. I mean, he sends guys flying. You recall in the UFC, the Dustin Hazlett fight. He sends the guy 20 feet through the air. And, you know, on the regional scene, obviously, I, not even on the regional scene, on other big promotions, you know, in Strike Force, what he did to Scott Smith, and he sent him, uh, you know, face planking. <laughs> and then obviously <laughs> the Nick Diaz fight, you don't just drop Nick Diaz twice in the first round. That's unheard of. So, you know, Paul Daly in his prime, one of the scariest strikers of all time in the welterweight division. But in his last fight, you know, he was looking a little older. He's looking a little slower. He was even starting to get tagged a couple times. Now he's got this fight against Olsen. And, you know, in my opinion, they're trying to save him for that glory card, you know, where they, they have the the MMA fights and the kickboxing fights on one big card. They want to get, you know, Paul Daly on that card. So 
in my opinion, this is a showcase fight, but his last one was a showcase fight too, and he didn't look that great. So, Wes, I want to know your opinion here. Is the, you know, is Paul Semtex Daily, the vintage version of him, going to come out and just blast this guy with a big left hook? Or are we going to see a little bit of a decline here? Is he going to, you know, get grinded up against that fence, get taken down a couple times, get a little tired, and, you know, potentially lose a close decision? Uh, I think uh, both points are kind of correct. And I think you're right on about them wanting him on that glory uh, Bellator mix card. Um, I think Paul Daly is definitely declining a little bit. He's not the same fighter he was a few years ago. Um, but I think they're setting him up for a squash match tonight. So he gets out of here, gets business done quick, and they can move him on to that to that uh, glory Bellator card. Um so I think you're right on both points. I, I, he's definitely declining a little bit. Um, but the last thing to go is your power. He's fighting a can tonight. And I think it's it's mainly um, it's set up that way because of like what you said. They want him on that kickboxing. They'll, they'll have him on that kickboxing card unscathed. I think he, he can crush his tonight pretty much. Yeah, and another thing that we got to mention is not only is he fighting a hand-picked opponent, his hand-picked opponent missed weight. So, you know, that yeah. for me, when a guy, you know, misses weight, you know, occasionally it's just a matter of, you know, getting the weight cut wrong. But this to me seemed like the guy's a little lazy. He doesn't take his career as seriously. And you can tell by, you know, just taking a brief look at his record. But is that going to play a part here? Or even if he came in perfect shape, would he still get bombed with that big left hook by Semtex Daily? Yeah, I don't think it's going to – It was. I think it's, this fate was sealed regardless. But – like you said, it just goes to show you how seriously is a guy taking a fight. How how much does he really believe that he's going to beat Paul Daly tonight? Not much. Um, I, I played Paul Daly in, in my, you know, uh, Scott Coker, Spike Force, you know, extravaganza, Chuck Parlay. Uh, but after seeing the guy miss Wade, I, I played the under, too. I, I think he's just – he's there to get a check, and Paul Daly is going to take care of him uh, fairly quickly. And, you know, speaking of the under, this actually reminded me. We have a fan question by uh, Mike. You know, he's at Grind MMA. He wanted to know which under do you like the most tonight, Wes? Um, I like the daily and the the ward over uh, about or under about the same, but the line is way better on the daily under, so I favor that one more. Um, I know a lot of guys we talked to on Twitter like the under in the Lima-Russia uh, fight also, which is two and a half rounds. I think that's a good bet as well. Um, but the daily under is probably what I like the most. After seeing his opponent miss weight, um, everything else we done touched on, the the kickboxing card coming up, um, I really think daily gets him out of there in the first round. Um but the ward under is real good too. I think that guy's he's another uh hand-picked opponent on late notice for Ward. And I think he's gonna get him out of there fast as well. But as, with the line the way it is, uh, I like the the daily one the most. And you know, it's funny you bring up the Brennan Ward fight because this fight actually kind of hits uh close to home for me because you know it is Brennan Ward versus Roger Carroll and my buddy Tex Johnson. He actually uh, submitted Brennan Ward in 14 rec in 14 seconds, and that set the record for the fastest submission in Bellator history. You know, Tex is a good friend of mine. And then my, mm -hmm. other, my other friend, David Kay, you know, who's my training partner, I train with him all the time, I knuckle up. 
he actually beat Roger Carroll. So both of my friends beat these guys. So for me, it's just going to be kind of funny to sit back and watch it. But let's talk about Michael Page for a second. You know, this guy, when he first burst onto the scene, a lot of people were saying this is the next Anderson Silva. And basically what Michael Venom Page looks to do is, you know, he dances around the ring like Anderson Silva, but he's a lot more exaggerated. He's a lot more cocky. He'll do things where, you know, if, if, you're, if your opponent is standing right in front of you, Michael Venom Page will look to his right-hand side, and then he'll throw a punch. You know, he, uh, he definitely has some showmanship, and it definitely gets into the heads of his opponents. Now he's fighting another hand-picked opponent in Rudy Bears, and it should be a showcase fight for him. But like we mentioned with that Daly fight, you know, Daly had a showcase fight last time, and he didn't look that good. Now, with Michael Page, he was supposed to have a showcase fight against Nanshan Burrell, and he didn't look good in that fight either. So do you think we're going to get back to, you know, the old devastating and cocky ways of uh, Michael Venom Page? Is he going to put on an absolute show against Rudy Bears? Or is there a chance that, you know, Rudy Bears can get him up against that cage, neutralize the flashy striking, and potentially get an upset decision? Yeah, Rudy Bears is pretty fucking horrible, man. Um, I'm I'm not as high on Page as, as some people have been. Um, I think he's he's decent, man, but he's had a lot of hype behind him. Um, the the Anderson reference is pretty good. He's got the body type, the flashy stuff, you know. Um, this this guy's just terrible that he's fighting, and yeah, I think he gets him out of there quick too. Like like I said that. Scott Coker has brought over the strike force model to Bellator pretty much. You know, he, he puts his showcase guys in fights that are very, very winnable and um, and where they can showcase their skills to the fullest. I think, you know, Paige is one of their guys. They, they like him. They've promoted him quite a bit, you know, um, as far as Bellator promoting guys. But, uh, yeah, I see this as the same as the other fights. I really think that it's it's just another hand-picked opponent that he should get out of there quick. Now, Willie, you know, that's the question. Uh, no Sean Burrell, though, like his last fight, he's he's five levels above Rudy Bears, though. That, the dude is terrible. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be over pretty quick for him, too, man. Yeah, for sure. And if Michael Page is able to get, you know, one of those impressive and memorable performances – you could for sure look at him to be one of Bellator's upcoming stars because you know he does have the style to gain not just the casual interest fan, uh, the casual fans' interest, but also guys like us. I mean, you know, you know that we're very uh, picky about you know which fighters we really like and this and that. And seeing a guy go out there and do some of the stuff that he does is definitely unique. So I'm gonna definitely keep my eye on him and see you know what he does going forward. Now, obviously, we gotta talk about this main event. You know, not only is Douglas the Phenom Lima versus Andre Koreshkov an exciting fight on paper. But when you talk about the betting lines, you know, last night, Douglas Lima was about minus 175. Looking at it right now, he's minus 115. Why did the line drop? Is You know, I'm from Atlanta. I know firsthand there's no injury reports going around about Douglas Lima. You know, he's healthy. He had a great camp. He's ready to go. As a gambling man, Wes, why do you think the line – on Douglas Lima drop so much. Now, before you answer, don't just say because money came in on Koreshkov. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, we know money came in on Koreshkov, but I want to know why that money came in on Koreshkov. What do they see that we haven't heard yet? I mean, he's a good fighter. Uh, I think that's the most to do with it. He's a good fighter, and he was at good plus money. I mean, that's 
that's a pretty good reason to hit it. I, I know uh, Nate Miller over at Cagecast, he likes uh, Russia tonight. He, he picked him over Lima. Uh, I don't agree, but I, I see the reasoning why some money could come in. Now, the line has just dropped crazy. I, I, I parlayed it at uh, minus 170, and, you know, I've got a straight carry line on it and kicking myself now, you know, minus 115 now. But, yeah, I think it's um, – Rush is good, man. He's a good fighter. He's got one loss his entire career. He's he's a very good fighter. Um, I just I favor Lima in the fight. I don't think it's as close as the line now. Um, I I think Lima has too many tools. Lima can do it on the ground. He can do it standing. Um, he has huge power. I mean that um, that knockout of um, of uh, Saunders, the the left to the body, and then the high the head kick. Man, that's as beautiful as you'll get in a knockout. Um, I really favor Lima. I, I like I said, I guess the line dropped because you know Russia's good. He's a good fighter, and uh, he was sitting at some nice plus money. Some guys, some guys take that. Um, I could see people picking him in the fight. I, I don't agree with it. I just don't think he's got enough tools to to hang with Lima. Um, but. That's the only reason I can think of the line dropping. It's still some crazy line movement today, and it's happened in the past couple hours. So maybe somebody knows something we don't, man. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you, Wes. You know, I do have Douglas the Phenom Lima defending his uh, welterweight strap tonight. And, you know, another thing I want to talk about, you know, you briefly mentioned our buddy Sean Carey. And, you know, everyone knows that when he, uh, you know, when he bets a fight and then the line gets better after he bet it, it's called getting carried. For me, <laughs> What often happens with me is, you know, I'll wait because I want to see I want to see if the line gets better and then it gets worse. So we call that getting levied. So now we got carried, we got levied. So, you know, everyone's got to pick their uh, pick their term properly. Now, obviously, we got Talis Latis versus Michael Bisming, that whole UFC Glasgow card. That's the reason people are tuning in right now. That's what people want to hear us talk about. So there's a couple of fights on that card that really stand out. You know, before we get into that main event. I want to talk about Jimmy Rivera versus Marcus Brimage. You know, obviously Marcus Brimage, he was coming off that season of the Ultimate Fighter. He, uh, you know, he put on a three-fight winning streak inside the UFC. He beat Jimmy Hedis. He beat Maximo Blanco. And then, uh, you know, he had, he welcomed Conor the Notorious McGregor into the octagon. And obviously that didn't go his way at all. But, you know, you can't, uh, you can't take anything away from him. He was, he was facing the current interim champ. But in his fight with Russell Doan, you know, I scored it for Doan. A lot of people scored that one for Brimage. But the point is, you know, he wasn't looking like that same, you know, potential stud when he was on that three-fight win streak. And then obviously, you know, the fight with Cody Garbrandt. We saw Cody Garbrandt last week, and he did not look inspired one bit. But he goes in there against Marcus Brimage, and he absolutely runs through him. Now Marcus Brimage is taking on Jimmy Rivera. Jimmy Rivera is 16-1. and And this kid has beat some UFC vets on the regional scene. He's, you know, originally the guy was a wrestler. And back in the day, you know, he used to be able to beat guys via mounted triangle and stuff like that. So you knew that already back then, he already had the submission game. He already had the wrestling. But in his last couple of fights, he's been knocking guys out. So he really has that complete game. You know, 16-1, and one, like I mentioned, making his UFC debut. For me personally, I think Jimmy Rivera is about to make a statement and people are going to take notice. What's your opinion on this fight, Wes? Yeah, it's uh, – uh, it's really close. I think it's a really close fight. Um, Brimage, you know, uh, look it up, but Brimage is only, you know, his three fight. I personally scored uh, him the winner against Doan. 
it could have went either way. Uh, absolutely. It was close. I thought he won the fight, but that was a close fight. And then, you know, he, of course he lost to Connor and then, uh, Cody, which, you know, like you said, Cody didn't look the best, uh, last week, but I think Cody's still very, very talented. Um, and those are his only three losses here recently. Um, so I, I think it's close. Uh, man, Rivera, the wrestling is legit. Um, it's the the question is is his hands. Um, Brimage kind of can mix it up. He can do a little bit of all of it. Um, I still kind of question uh, Rivera's hands. He has gotten some some decent wins over some some vets uh, back in the day, um, but I still I, I favor Brimage in the fight. Uh, it, it's really close. I, I don't know if I can bet it. I'm I'm leaning Brimage. If he keeps climbing up a little more, I might have to lay a little bit. But this is a, a fight you should probably pass on. I think it's that close. Um, Rivera could show up and be highly improved, man. You know, he could have added a ton of stuff to his game, mainly the striking. That has to get a little better. But his wrestling's legit. I could absolutely see him taking Brimage down and 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 grounding and pounding on him for, for three rounds. Um, so I think it's a close fight. Maybe one you should stay away from. I, I lean Brimage though, but like I said, would not be surprised at all if Rivera won this fight. He has, uh, he could definitely improve off his last fight for sure. And you know, you do bring up good points and I obviously always respect your opinion, but for this one personally, I'm actually going on the opposite. I'm going to put a tiny bit on Jimmy Rivera. You know, I really look at these, uh, these prospects and, you know, I like to scout them out. And he has everything that I look for in a guy that's coming in the UFC that can potentially have some success. And, you know, not only does he have that 16-1 and record with wins over UFC veterans, so he's he's seasoned, but he also has that that full game, you know, the wrestling like like you mentioned, the jiu-jitsu game, the striking. So, to me, that's really what I need to see to make my decision. And, you know, with Marcus Brimage, in my opinion, he's not really getting better fight by fight. He's kind of declining. He's declining a little bit. And... I just don't have any confidence in Brimage, so I got to go with Rivera here. Now, moving on, uh, Patty Huluhan versus Von Lee. You know, to me, this is an interesting fight because, you know, Von Lee at 135 pounds, you know, he had a couple performances where he looked great. He had a couple performances where he looked not so great. Now he's dropping 125 pounds where everyone said that he should have been all along, and he's facing uh, Houlihan, who, you know, the guy, he's very exciting to watch. You know, on the feet, obviously – He's nowhere near Conor McGregor, but what he does is he has that high-volume output like Conor McGregor. He'll get in your face. He'll try to throw. And when he gets to the ground, you know, the chances are the guy's going to transition and take your back. So, to me, this is a very nice stylistic matchup in the flyweight division. I think it's going to be fireworks. How do you see this fight going down between Patty Huluhan and Von Lee? Well, I, I bet Von Lee uh, when he was at plus 160. Um, how I kind of look at the fight is um, – if it stays standing, I think Bond's going to piece him up. I mean, uh, I don't think, you know, Houlihan's uh, stand-up game is anywhere close. Now, if it gets to the ground, uh, you're right. Houlihan can get to the back. He can he can choke guys out. I just – I think Von Lee has enough wrestling for a Brit anyway. We got to preface that because he is a Brit. But I think he has a, enough wrestling to keep it standing up. And, man, Von Lee, he's only um, – they talked about it on the MMA analysis uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Von Lee has only been subbed by TJ Dillashaw and uh, Rafael Sunsal in the past three years. So if you're thinking, you know, he's just going to get taken down and subbed easy, 
he's only been subbed by two of the best guys uh, in the division in the past three years. Um, now, if it gets there, I, I would I would still be worried. I mean, who hangs legit on the ground? He's he's good, um, but I think he can keep it standing, and I think his stand up game is just a little bit better. Um, also, watching the weigh-ins yesterday, it looked like Houlihan had a really, really rough weight cut. Um, he was towed down, uh, had to take everything off to make it look look pretty. He didn't look really sunk in, but he looked like he had a pretty bad weight cut. Um, just at the price at plus 160, I have to take a shot on uh, on Bondley. I think he keeps it standing and uh, – not, I don't think he K, KOs him, but I think he can keep it standing for a few rounds and uh, piece him up and uh, get a pretty clear-cut decision. Yeah, you know, the last time I took a shot on Von Lee, it ended via 18-second KO. So, for me, yeah. I, I kind of got burnt. And, you know, it's funny because uh, Von Lee against Nam Fan, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's Nam Fan, you know, he sucks or whatever. But listen, Von Lee against Nam Fan, that was one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen. He goes in there. And he basically did a, a Jeet Kune Do kind of performance on the feet. He looked like Bruce Lee out there. You know, he looked like a 125-pound Anderson Silva. I was very blown away by that performance against Nam Fan. You know, it was a 30-26. And he's going in there, and he's just so fast. And it basically looked like he was in a video game. So when I saw that, I was like, wow. If this kid's going to look like this every single fight, you know, we may have something on our hands here. Then he goes in there against Yuri Alcantara, and, you know, it didn't go according to plan. You know, he tried that same game plan, and he got laid out in about, you know, 18 to 20 seconds. So now he's making, you know, the drop to 125 pounds, and in my opinion, that's the proper weight class for Von Lee. But he's got a very tough opponent here in Patty Hulahan because, like we mentioned, if Hulahan gets the fight to the ground, chances are it could be over. We have seen Von Lee submitted in the past. Granted, it was to, you know, TJ Dillashaw, the champion, Hafa Sun Tsao, who's a top three contender. But Paddy Hulihan, he's very opportunistic. So if he does get it to the ground, he can get that uh, that rear naked choke, Mata Leon. But Von Lee on the feet, you know, like you mentioned, he definitely has the edge there. So that's one that I'm not betting on, but I'm going to tune in as a fan just to, you know, sit back, see that style clash, you know, see who takes that next step forward in the UFC flyweight division. Now, we got to talk about Leon Edwards versus Paul Pollack because, you know, Leon Edwards – he had a lot of hype coming off the UK scene. You know, if you watch some of his past fights, he's got some very devastating knockouts. And he comes into the UFC against Claudio Henrique da Silva, who, you know, he also grinded out uh, Brad Scott, who actually beat Dylan Andrews via finish recently. But he's so he goes up there against Claudio Henrique da Silva. And we know da Silva, he's a multiple time Brazilian Jiu Jitsu world champion. And basically, what he was able to do was kind of grind out that split decision, you know. Obviously, on the feet, Leon Edwards got the best of every single exchange. But when it did go to the ground, um, Henrique da Silva was able to control Leon Edwards for periods of a time. And then eventually, Leon would get back up. So, in my opinion, that fight taught him a lot because he comes back in his next fight against Seth Bozinski. And we all know, yeah, Seth Bozinski doesn't have the best chin. But, I mean, the guy just went three hard rounds with Tiago Alves. So, I mean, he got fight of the night. You know, he's not, he's not the worst fighter we've ever seen. And then Leon Edwards goes in there, he throws a counter right hand and knocks him out cold in seven seconds. To me, that wasn't a fluke. That was a culmination of all the hard work he's put in. And obviously, the striking we saw in the regional scene, it really translated that night. Now he's fighting Paul Pollack, who's, in my opinion, he's your run-of-the-mill grinder. You know, he's just okay on the feet. He can push you up against the fence. If he gets to the ground, you know, he's no Charles Dubronx Oliveira, but 
he can uh you know he can grind you out a little bit he's uh he's a tough guy i think leon edwards is going to knock him out in devastating fashion what do you think wes yeah i'm i'm leaning that way um I, I think you're you're dead on about uh, Paul, though he is your quintessential grind, grinder. Um, now, if if Edwards can't lay that shot um, fairly quickly, I could absolutely see Paul laying on him and grinding on him for three rounds. That's what scares me about the fight. Why I probably stay away from it. Um, but I agree with with everything about you said. Um, man, he's got. He's got knockout power. I do I kind of disagree, though. I questioned it a little bit in the Seth fight because Pazinski is just about done. That dude is a ghost. Um, but you can't, you know, you, you can't argue with the power that he has. Um, I'm just worried that if Paul gets a hold of him, he, he is that grinder. He can get him against the cage. He can get him down. He can grind on him, tire him out, which is going to take away that power. Um, I lean towards Edwards winning by KO, first round KO. Um, if I was to bet the fight, I would have to take a small shot on the dog. I mean, he's up to plus 300 right now. Um, but this is probably a fight that I'll stay completely away from because I, I think you're probably right. I think I think he gets KO pretty fast. Um, but I could absolutely see uh, Paul grinding on him for three rounds and, and winning another decision like he did just a couple fights ago. Um, so pretty much agree with on your breakdown, but this is probably one that I'll uh, I'll stay away from. Those are some great points, Wes, and I'm going to give you my reasoning on why you know I bet Leon Edwards in a parlay with uh, Joseph Duffy, who we'll get into in just a second. You know, you bring up the fact that Paul Pollack he can grind him out. He is that prototypical prototypical grinder. But here's what I looked at. You know, obviously Claudio Henrique da Silva was able to do that to Leon Edwards, but the guy is you know. He's a multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion. And when one of those Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champions gets on top of you, I mean, those guys are so heavy with their top control, chances are you aren't getting up. And the fact that, you know, Leon Edwards, he was able to create these little scrambles here and there. Obviously, he lost a split decision, but it showed me just a little bit of what he could do to someone with less of a ground game than Claudio Henrique da Silva. And Paulo Pollack, he does have less of a ground game than Claudio Henrique da Silva. You know, he doesn't have the grappling credentials. He doesn't have that Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's not a former wrestler. So I think here we're actually going to get to see, you know, a little bit of takedown defense from Leon Edwards. If he does get taken out, I think he'll get right back up. It's going to look a lot more impressive than that UFC debut just because of the level of opponent he's facing. But you do bring up great points because as he moves up in the rankings, he's going to have to fight, you know, those better grinders. And that's where I think he's going to have problems. But for this specific spot, I really do think that Leon Edwards is going to get this knockout. Now, moving on, we got to talk about Joseph Duffy versus Ivan George. Now, obviously, everyone knows Joseph Duffy because he submitted Conor McGregor. You know, he takes him down, passes the guard like nothing, gets that arm triangle choke, game set and match. And, you know, interestingly enough, he's got some hands on him too. You know, he took about three years off from his MMA career, and he compiled a perfect 10-0 boxing record. So the guy's got hands, he's got submission skills, and now he's fighting Ivan George, who's another one of these prototypical grinders that we like to talk about. So uh, Joe Duffy, he's favored minus 800. In my opinion, it is a little bit high, but I do understand where they're coming from. What's your opinion on this fight? Is Joe Duffy going to finish Ivan George in devastating fashion? Yeah, the line is a little high, but I think it's uh, it's completely warranted. Um, uh, Duffy's pretty legit, man. I think he's a, he's a really good fighter. Um 
and not not just that he's a pretty good fighter. I just I don't think Ivan George is very good at all. Um, like you said, he's he's another one of those grinders that's going to try to grind out decisions. Um, he's just not going to be able to do that against Duffy. Um, if if this goes to the ground, George is in serious trouble. Um, and I can see Duffy getting a sub sometime in the second round. That's how I'm going. In. And I, I did parlay that that minus 800. It is pretty high, uh, but that's one of the safer bets on this card, to be honest. Um, I, I think Duffy gets it done fairly easy. I'm just um, – there's nothing that George has that worries me about this fight, to be honest. You know, I like that pick a lot. To me, that's a ballsy pick because a lot of people are saying – that Joe Duffy is going to knock him out in the first round. You're predicting he's going to go in there and tap out the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So to me, I got a lot of respect for that pick, and I can totally see it happening. I mean, you know, Joe Duffy, he is training out of TriStar. He was already well-rounded before he joined TriStar. So, you know, training with a mastermind like Firaza Habi, that's only going to, you know, fine-tune his game. That's only going to take him to that next level. So I definitely see... Joe Duffy finishing Ivan George. I couldn't play the inside the distance prop. It was a little bit too high for my liking. But as far as a parlay leg, I think, you know, I think it's a, uh, I think he's the way to go. Now, we got to talk about the co-main event, you know, Ross Pearson versus Evan Dunham. Obviously, when you watch a Ross Pearson fight, you can assume that if he wins, there's a good chance he's going to knock someone out. And more specifically, there's a good chance he's going to knock someone out in the second round because that's what he's been doing in most of his wins. Now, usually when he fights, a grinder that can avoid that knockout. It doesn't always go as planned for him. And but with Evan Dunham, you know, he hasn't been looking as good lately. Granted, he's also been facing, you know, very high level of competition. But in that fight with Rodrigo Dam, he showed that if you, you know if you're a walking punching bag, Evan Dunham can still tee off on you. He still has something left in the tank. So what I want to know here is, you know, obviously on the feet, Ross Pearson has the advantage. But if the fight goes to the ground, do you think that Ross Pearson can scramble back up to his feet, or will Evan Dunham be able to tap out Ross the real deal Pearson? Yeah, I, I don't think so uh, if it gets to the ground. And I actually think that uh, Dunham can have some pretty uh, some good success on the feet, uh, just the way he fights. Uh, he, he likes to push guys up against the cage, do, do the clinch work. Uh, he's another one of those grinders, but he's got some skill. Um, Evan Dunham, you know, Look at it. He's he's lost what um, three of his last four, but those are the Dosanos, Cowboy, and Barbosa. I mean, there's no shame whatsoever in losing those fights. Um, if if Ross connects, though, I mean, he hits hard. There is no doubt about it. If he connects on Dunham, he's he probably going to be in some trouble. But I've seen Dunham take some shots, man. The guy's got a good chin. Um, I. I I think he can grind Ross up against the cage and working man. And if it goes to the ground, Ross is just, he's, he's not very good there. I don't, I don't think he's ever, never looks like he's ever got that part of his game even remotely better. It, it, it's always been a striking, which is very good. Um, but I, I played Dunham, uh, at plus 200 when he had plus 200, um, I threw a unit on it. Um, I see the fight going as a, a typical Evan Dunham fight. I think he's going to throw a lot of volume. I think he's going to uh, he's going to crowd uh, Pearson, uh, possibly get him down. Um, mainly, I think it's going to be up against the cage. It's going to be Dunham holding him against the cage and throwing lots of volume, lots of body strikes, and he's eventually going to wear Ross down. And like I said earlier, 
when you get all that on you, that power starts to go away. You don't have that same power in the second and third round when you have a guy like Dunham on you constantly. And that's his that's Dunham's game. Constant pressure, constant volume. And I think that's going to be a problem for uh, Pearson in this fight. And I, I like Dunham, especially at plus 200. I love Dunham at plus 200. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that, in my opinion, Evan Dunham has to do is he's got to capitalize early. He's got to get on Ross Pearson right from the first bell. Because one thing that I've noticed when watching Ross Pearson's fights is that he's a very slow starter. You know, the first round, he kind of tries to get your feel, your timing, your range, this and that. And then in the second round, like I like I mentioned earlier, that's usually when he knocks guys out. So what Evan Dunham needs to do, like you said, he needs to get him up against that cage, he needs to dirty box, knees to the thigh, mix in a takedown. Because that first round, that is when Ross Pearson's trying to find his timing, his range. And if Evan Dunham doesn't let him do that, he could for sure dictate the pace of this fight right from the get-go. So in my opinion, that's the key to victory for Evan Dunham. Get on him from the start. Because if you kind of take your time with Ross Pearson and you let him get comfortable, chances are he's going to find his range. He's going to do one of those nice little rolls to the left hook and put you on your ass. So Evan Dunham's got to get busy right when the bell rings. Now, main event of the evening. Obviously, we got Michael the Count Bisbing, who's a perennial top 10. He's, I'd say he's a legend in the sport. I've been watching this guy forever. And, you know, yeah. he's facing Talos latest. And the thing that's so cool about Bisbing is that you know, he's got a lot of heart. He doesn't hit that hard. Obviously, he doesn't knock guys out with one punch. But what he does do is he overwhelms guys with his volume. He overwhelms guys with his cardio. He overwhelms guys with the fact that he's not willing to quit. The only times that Michael uh, Bisbing's ever been finished, it hasn't been because he balled up and the ref came and stopped the fight. It's been because he got knocked out cold by Dan Henderson. It's been because he got a head kick via TRT Vitor. It's been because Luke Rockhold, the number one contender, had him in a tight choke. You know, those are the kind of things that happen in fights like that. And Michael Bisping will never look for a way out. You know, he's got heart for days. He's got grit for days. Now he's fighting a guy in Talos Latis who's on a career resurgence, and he's looking the best he's ever looked. I mean, you recall Talos Latis versus Anderson Silva, and that's not the same Talos Latis we see today. You know, that guy, you know, he'd flop to his back. He'd... You know, do the things that where Doom used to do back in the day. He'd do the things Damian Maya used to do back when he fought Anderson Silva. And the guy we see now, you know, he's training with Novo Nia, with Andre Pedineres, Jose Aldo, the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet. And you can see he's really adapted that Novo Nia style to his game. You know, he's got a great leg kick now. He's got a great left hook now. And one thing that I'm really impressed with is, you know, obviously we know he's the high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but he's added some wrestling to his game. He's got a nice double leg, and once he gets you down, he can pass that position, get an arm triangle. If he's on top of you, it's, uh, you know, it's not an easy night whatsoever. But Michael Bisming, he's as, you know, he's as seasoned as they get. He's as experienced as they get. So I'm very curious what, about what's about to go down in this fight. What do you think, Wes? Why don't you break it down for us? Yeah, uh, I think the a lot of this fight is gonna have to is gonna come down to the the beginning of it. If Bisbing can survive all that, uh, first of all, I think latest, like you said, his his stand up from that Silva fight to now, his stand up is just it's light years ahead of ahead of what it was. Uh, also, like you said, his wrestling seems to be way better. He was so one dimensional back then. I mean, that's that's all he had. Um, I think he he could give Bisping problems uh, early, um, but I think if 
if Bisbing gets out of round two or three with him, the question about latest still is, is his cardio. He still has cardio problems. We've seen it uh, still to this day. Um, I think Bisbing will uh, take it longer. And eventually, like you said, the volume of, uh, of Bisbing is just unreal, man. That's he, I'm, and I'm, I've never liked Bisming. Uh, I don't think a lot of people do, you know, but um, he, like you said, his volume is something else, man. He has legit stand-up. He, he looks like he's, you know, he looks like he's been, you know, drilling that stand-up for 10, 15 years like he has. It's it's almost perfect, man. Uh, I'm leaning more towards that Bisming survives the, the early couple rounds uh, with Latus and, his cardio and volume eventually takes over. And I, I think he gets latest out of there late, uh, fourth round, maybe fifth round. Um, I still, there's a slight chance that that latest um, could win. Don't get me wrong. If he does get Bisping to the ground, Bisping's in trouble. I know Bisping has great takedown defense, and he does have good uh, scramble ability. He can get back up. But Latus is a he's a legit guy on the ground. He always has been. And like you said, he he worked he's worked on that wrestling. He does have a, a decent double leg now. That could cause Bisbing some problems. But I'm gonna bank on the fact that um Bisbing has some of the best takedown defense that you'll see. He really does. Um I think he'll he'll keep it standing. His volume and and Bisbing's cardio will eventually wear on Latus. And I think he gets him out of there quick. Uh, I, I think you're. I think you lean latest, which I, I don't. I can't argue that. I think there's past a victory for latest. Uh, but I played Bisming at I believe minus one fifteen, and Bisming at, at minus one fifteen is just crazy, man. I don't think when he's the favorite, I don't think you've seen a line that low on him in a in a long, long time. Um, but I think he, I think he gets it done the ways I, I said. Um, like I said, I think he lasts that early onslaught of latest. I am a little worried though, um, but I, I do think he gets it done. And I bet Bisming at minus one fifteen, and I played him to win uh, one point five. You know, you bring up some great points, Wes. And obviously, you know, latest he does have more firepower than Bisming, but Bisming's cardio, his pace, his pinpoint jab. That's what he's going to really need to establish, you know, as the rounds go on. Because obviously, I don't think Bisbing is going to get a first-round KO. But you know, I'm actually a big fan of Bisbing. You know, his last fight with CB Dalloway, I bet on him there, and that was a great spot because you know he got dropped in the first round. He was able to show his heart. He overcame adversity. And one kind of thing that I noticed before the fight was at the weigh-ins. You know, I really felt like Bisbing was in CB Dalloway's head. And I know a lot of people are like, oh. Being in someone's head, that's an overrated talk by MMA fans that don't know what they're talking about. Not in my opinion. I think the mental warfare is a big part of this game. And, you know, if you saw that way, and, you know, CB Dalloway is trying to give Bisbing a high five. And Bisbing's like, get your hand out of my face, dude. I'm not trying to be your friend here. You know, and the thing that I like about Thales is that Bisbing's not in his head at all. You know, Thales, he's there to win. The trash talk's not going to get to him. But, you know, Bisbing's a very mentally strong guy, like we've mentioned many times before. So, to me, this is a nail-biter, and for that specific reason, I can't bet on the fight because I see the paths for both. I see, you know, Latus can, you know, use his firepower, either knock out Bisbing or tap him out. But if Bisbing gets past those first two rounds, he's able to take over with his cardio, he, he can get Talos Latus to start covering up, and Michael Bisbing can start, you know, landing that big volumous output and eventually get that TKO. He could even get a decision. So for that reason, I have to pass. It's just... 
I could see it going either way. I wish you the best of luck in your bet. You know, I hope I hope Bisping cashes for you. Now, before we wrap this up, Wes, we got to talk about a couple things. I want to know your fight to watch for this weekend. Oh man, um, it, it's probably tonight. I mean, if you can't get up for Lima and, and uh, Kreslikov, or you know, that's that's a sick fight, man. That that's probably the fight I'm, I'm most looking forward to uh, this weekend. Um, UFC, man, the the main's good. I think the Cole main's good. Dunham and, and and Pearson should be some good fireworks, but. Yeah, outside everything, I I think uh, Lima and Russia tonight is just you, – you can't miss that fight. That's going to be awesome. And, fans, you better tune in and watch that Douglas-Lima fight. For me personally, my fight to watch – you know, obviously you can say Bisbing versus Latest. That's a great fight. I'm actually going to go with Von Lee versus Patrick Huluhan. I'm actually very intrigued by that fight because, you know, you got Von Lee who's great on his feet. you got Patrick Huluhan who – you know, he's Irish, he's got the crowd behind him, and he's, uh, you know, he's very good on the ground. So striker versus grappler, and they're fighting in Scotland. You know, I said he's got the crowd behind him. I, I should probably backtrack a little bit because you got a Brit versus an Irish man. They're fighting in Scotland. That, to me, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, Wes, who is your fighter to watch this weekend? Uh, I think, um, you know, some of the – some of the Bellator guys, I guess you got to watch, like like we was talking earlier, uh, Page and stuff, just to see if if the hype is real on them. Um, but the UFC side, I, I I have a lot of money on Latifi, and I want to see how he bounces back uh, from his from his last fight. Um, that that's more of a personal. I need to see it, you know, because I, I got a good amount of money on him. Um, but that, uh, I want to see if, if Joe Duffy is, is about as legit as, as we all think he is. Um, but it's, it's pretty slim pickings this weekend, to be honest. Uh, the, the UFC card's not the best. Um, I, I think it'll end up having some good fights on it. You know, that's how it always goes. We think the card is shitty and then it ends up being like a great card. You know, the fights turn out and they're, they're great fights, but yeah, probably, uh, you know, Page and and that and then I just I keep going back to the Lima and Russia fight, man. That, that's just that that's the one to keep your eyes on, in my opinion. And you know, you do bring up Ilir Latifi. You know, he's training out of the All Stars gym with Alexander Gustafsson. Obviously, in his last fight, you know, he did get body kicked by Jan Blankowitz. And just before I get to my my fighter to watch, I wanted to talk about Anthony Rumble Johnson versus Jan Blankovic. Obviously, that's the fight that just got booked. And you know, a lot of people are saying stuff like. What did uh, Jan Blankovic do to Joe Silva to deserve such a punishment? Now, he didn't do anything, folks. I'm going to read you the rankings right now and let you know exactly why they matched these two up together. Okay, so when you look at the UFC light heavyweight rankings, all right, so we got, we got Daniel Cormier as the champion. He's injured. We got Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's booked to fight uh, Jan Blankovic. We got Alexander Gustafsson. He's booked to fight Daniel Cormier. Ryan Bader. He's booked to fight Rashad Evans. Glover Teixeira. He's booked to fight OSP. Rashad, we already mentioned. OSP, we already mentioned. Jimmy Manoa. He's injured. Mauricio Shogun. He's booked to fight Lil Nog. Rampage Jackson. He's going through the Bellator injunction. Rafael Feijão. He's booked to fight Patrick Cummins. Antonio Lil Nog Noguera. He's booked to fight Shogun. Then... Number 12, that's your next option. 
That's Jan Blankovic. My friends, that right there yes. is why he's fighting Anthony Rumble Johnson. So let's stop, you know, the BS. Let's stop the, oh, he, he pissed off Joe Silva talk because that's <laughs> entirely not true. I just read you the rankings. All those guys are either booked or injured, and that is precisely why Anthony Rumble Johnson is fighting Yang Blankowitz. Now, Wes, real quick, is Anthony Rumble Johnson going to knock out Jan Blankovic in the first round? He's going to be arrested for murder in the first round. That's what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested. They're going to have cops waiting cage side to lock that man up when he kills a guy in their cage. Like I understand what I understand like what you're saying though. Like there's just no other fights for him. Uh, he doesn't want to wait around, you know, or, you know, for any of the top guys. They're all booked. Uh, I think he wants to stay active. Uh, Rumble came out, uh, put a tweet out that said, you know, he had got his shot against uh, a guy uh, back when he was wasn't ranked in the top ten. So it's only fair that you know Jan gets his shot at a top guy. To understand that, it's just all you know, blowing smoke. He's fighting him because, like you said, there's no other viable opponents for him right now. Um, it is a laughable fight, though. If you don't think Rumble's not going to kill this guy in in under five, you know you're crazy. Rumble's gonna he's gonna separate this dude from consciousness, guarantee it. Now, my question is: Is there a value on Rumble Johnson at minus one thousand? And. I mean, I guess you know it might be it might be all the value. It might ha should have a couple zeros on there, right? You know, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you know, we got, said, you know, we got off, right, go sorry, sorry, we got off topic for a second. We started talking about Rumble versus Jan Blankovic. So now it's my turn to talk about my fighter to watch this weekend. Obviously, you mentioned Joe Duffy. You know, I think Jimmy Rivera. He's a kid to look out for. Like we previously mentioned on the show. 16 and 1 making his UFC debut. He's taking on Marcus Brimage, who, you know, he's been getting on a lot of these UFC debutants and uh, it hasn't really gone in his favor. And I think that's going to continue here with Jimmy Rivera. And obviously, we got to look at Leon Edwards. You know, first fight kind of gets grinded out a little bit, split decision loss. Second fight, seven second KO victory. I want to see what this kid's all about. I bet on him. I think he's the real deal. I've watched all his fights. He's legit. I just want to see him perform in the big show under the big lights, and I want to see what he's got. So my fighter to watch is Leon Edwards. Now, Wes, this is my first time introducing this segment to Half the Battle. So I'm very excited to have you as my guest here. Wes, I want to know, what's your bet of the weekend? Uh, yeah, I got a, quite a few bets this weekend. Uh, probably what's, more. What's your top three? Um. I'd say you you definitely have to play Evan Dunham at plus two hundred. That's just something you can't pass up. There's so many paths to victory for him in that fight. Uh, the number's just crazy. You, you have to play Evan Dunham at at plus two hundred. Um, let's see. Let me see what else I got. Uh, one that I just added recently, actually, um, that I really like and that should cash is daily inside the distance parlayed with Lima. Uh, Russia doesn't go the distance and that's sitting at minus one Oh two daily is going to knock this guy out. It might not happen in under 1.5. I think it does. I played that too, but he's going to take that guy out eventually. And then there's no way that main event goes five rounds, not with the way them two guys fight. So I think that parlay is, is pretty good. Um, Sitting at minus 102, I think that's a really good play. Uh, the Dunham, and then 
Actually, I'd probably say Bisming. I, I really think Bisming gets it done tonight at that number on Michael Bisming, who is a legit, you know, five top five guy in that division. Uh, maybe a little outside of that, but uh, sitting at minus one ten or whatever it is, I think Michael Bisming. You you almost have to play him. Uh, but my favorite bet is probably Dunham. Dunham at plus uh, two hundred. You you, you got to take that number on him. You know, and I asked you for your three best bets of the weekend, and I'm about to give mine. And obviously, anyone that signed up for the best fight picks mailing list, you know, we only gave out three bets this weekend. So those are going to be my top three. It's going to be, you know, we did a parlay with uh, Leon Edwards and Joseph Duffy. We took Jimmy Rivera straight. And then we took Douglas Lima straight. So those are my top three bets for the weekend. You know, normally I like to play a lot of underdogs, but I don't play an underdog for the sake of playing an underdog. The The spot has to be right. And the spot wasn't right this weekend. I mean, hopefully uh, for my buddy Wes's sake, I hope Evan Dunham comes through in that dog money spot. I personally passed on a bet for that fight. But that's the reasoning for not having any dogs on my end this week. And now we got to wrap things up. Wes, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the second ever episode of Half the Battle. Go ahead and you know plug anything you got coming on this weekend, next weekend, whatever, and let the audience know where they can follow you. Yeah, man, my Twitter handle's up, uh, True UK Fan. Uh, always enjoy talking fights, man, and bets with with anybody on there, man. Uh, you know, I think Twitter is it's a very uh, very good tool for betting. It's more important than I think people think. There's a lot of good minds on Twitter when it comes to betting fights. Guys that are not trying to sell picks, you know, guys that just want to discuss fights and picks that, that know their stuff. Um, so follow me there. Uh, always down to talk. Um, can't wait uh, for, for Nashville. If any are going to be in Nashville in a few weeks for the fights, uh, look us up. Uh, we're going to have a huge group of guys there to watch the fights. Um, the guys from the MMA analysis, uh, Lance, Jay, and Brad's going to be there. Uh, Sean's got a, his kid's birthday party to go to or something, so he's not going to be there, so fuck him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Dan's going to be down. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have a real uh, real fun time, man. And then uh, just want to plug, man, my, my boy Jeremy Loveless, man, can find him at super satire on uh, Twitter. He's come up with an amazing uh, bet tracking uh, Excel sheet. It's there's nothing out there like it. It literally, you just, you, you put your bets in, you put the line in and the fighter and it does everything else for you. Um, it breaks your bet down in every possible way you could think. It tells you how you, how you do on dogs, how you do on faves from say minus 300 to minus 600, how you do on your parlay pieces. It breaks your bets down uh, in any way that you can think it, it will make you a better, better um, for lack of better words. But uh, I, I believe he's selling the all sports wins for 50 bucks. Uh, it's absolutely worth 50 bucks, or you can get the MMA version for 25 bucks. Um, I'm, I'm telling you if, if you bet, you need to track your bets. Um, and if you're going to track your bets, this is the best thing out there to do it. It, it is so amazing. Um, give him a follow. He set up a, a Twitter account for it um, at uh, Gamble Pro Sheets. Um, you can find him at uh, at Super Satire, Jeremy Loveless. And then um, GambleProSheets.com is where you can go and check it out. He's got on the, the Twitter handle for Gamble Pro Sheets, he's got a – 
uh, uh, some videos up showing you how it works. Um, and then if you want to sign up, he's got a free demo that you can use that it has all the bells and whistles on it. You can just only put in about 10, 15 bets. So go check that out. It's absolutely worth your money. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that's about it, man. Uh, going to talk fights with you, man, uh, tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, can't wait to see you in Nashville, man. We're going to have a hell of a time, buddy. Yes, we are. And Jeremy, super suerte. I hope you're writing that check for Wes right now for a 10% commission because, I mean, this guy just gave you a two-minute plug on my show. And you know what? I got to vouch for, you know, for Jeremy Loveless at Super Suarte. I mean, this guy's sheets. He's literally revolutionizing the game. That's all I'm going to say right now. We still got to work out some deals. I'm trying to get him to sponsor this show. But, I mean, he's the real deal. Now, before we, uh, before we finish, obviously I want to thank every single person that watches this, every single person that's going to watch this later. Thank you so much for your support. I genuinely, seriously, sincerely, Appreciate it. Wes, thank you so much for coming on my show. You know, obviously, you're one of the guys I respect the most. Everyone has to respect you. I mean, you're one of the best in the world at not just, you know, MMA and, you know, all other sports, but what you do with NASCAR, that's that's something that not a lot of people can claim. So, you know, to have you on my show, it's a big honor. I'm truly grateful. Now, I, there's a couple stuff, couple things I got to plug. Every single Wednesday or Thursday on Fight Week, depending where you are on the globe, Myself and Fly and Brian, we do the Flying with Best Fight Picks podcast, and we literally break down the entire card from start to finish. We let you know which place to place. We tell you who to put on your counter move teams, your UFC pick them, the entire ordeal. We're not messing around. We're not playing games. Go to SoundCloud, sign up to Flying MMA, and then also go to SoundCloud and sign up to Best Fight Picks so you can get this show, Half the Battle, in podcast form if you don't feel like looking at our pretty faces every single week. Now... Next week's edition of Half the Battle, we got two very special guests. We got Carlin Bardsley from the Parting Shot Podcast. He's a guy, you know, you got to love that guy. He's always got something very insightful to say. And then obviously Andrew Lawrence, the clown kid. Now, Andrew the clown kid Lawrence, he hosts Before the Bald Man Speaks, which has become everyone's po favorite post-fight show. So I've been on that show twice. I was on the first ever episode, and I was on the last episode. Now he's going to come on my show, and I couldn't be happier. So – Last but not least, go to bestfightpicks.com. Best Fight Picks sponsors this show. Bestfightpicks.com. Type your email in that top right corner and get the Best Fight Picks sent directly to your inbox every single fight week. That's pretty much all we got to say. Thank you so much to everyone that watched this show and enjoy the fights.